Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 87, Sotonius part 2. Hi, I'm Dan, I'm the fan of history. Today, I have a guest. We are continuing the discussion on Sotonius with guest host David Oscarson and we'll just start right where we stopped last time. Holding running the Roman Empire. Yeah. Because we have this, uh, if you look at the, the empire of the late 3rd century AD, when the stabilizes after the crisis of the 3rd century, you have this enormous machine running the empire. Yeah. Whereas Augustus sort of runs it pretty much by having everyone's goodwill and being everybody's friend and people are just doing yeah. the right thing because so the the amount of bureaucrats and people involved yeah. in running the empire of course he relies on the republic mm. but it's still such a different the principate compared to the dominant yeah it must have been such a big uh, pressure on augustus and as we can see in the stories of uh, a lot of the other emperors i mean some of them just gave the practical work to an assistant or something so they yeah. could indulge in other things or just make appearances at speeches and stuff like that so yeah augustus is impressive in a, a lot of ways yeah it's super impressive of course uh, without him there would have been no empire yeah because th- this is the he sets the blueprint for yes. the way to be an emperor exactly and then it actually sets the blueprint so hard for such a long time yeah. that it survives a series of pretty bad emperors. <laughs> yes, indeed. I mean, let's uh, get on with uh, Tiberius. Yes. Who was uh, an unwilling emperor. And the uh, like, sixth choice of Augustus or yes, something like that. Yes, exactly. I mean, there was no... 
Augustus have had him him in his thoughts at all for that position, but uh, Augustus had a wife. Yes. A woman named Livia. Yes. And Livia was the mother of Tiberius. Yes. And uh, she very much wanted to see her son on the throne. And Tiberius was quite a renowned general. He had done yes, indeed. some military stuff, but he was not that interested in ruling and he was sulking a lot. <laughs> yes, he was sulking a lot. He uh, isolated himself during big time chunks of his uh, yes. reign. On some island, right? Yes, where Suetonius, the sensationalist, tells of a lot of the perverse things that he did. <laughs> well, let's uh, shorten it down to he, he uh, was sexually depraved and yeah. had sex with anything. Look at the first 10 minutes of the Caligula movie. <laughs> Indeed, where you can see Peter O'Toole uh, do a um, really interesting dramatization of Tiberius. But... Um, yeah, so it's Suetonius speaks a lot about Tiberius' sexual depravity, but also about his uh, extensive cruelty, as and as with uh, Augustus' and paranoia. Paranoia, right. paranoia, exactly. Lots of paranoia. Yes, because he executed so many people that he thought was uh, after him, and mm. I don't think it's one hundred percent clear exactly how Tiberius died. It no. has been speculated, and it's one of the most possible ways that the emperor who succeeded him had him killed. Yes. And that is, of course, uh, Caligula. Yes. <laughs> My favorite emperor. Favorite in brackets. There is no emperor crazier than Caligula. There are crazy yeah. emperors, but none of them are quite up to his level, if we do believe Suetonius. Yes, if we do believe uh, Suetonius. And I mean, I spoke before about Suetonius' uh, subjective ways in his writing, and he gets very subjective when it comes to the chapter on Caligula. And there is a very famous passage in the Caligula chapter when Suetonius says something like, I'll have to paraphrase this, but he says something like, he begins the chapter with, you know, some simple factual information like these were Caligula's parents and then he came to the rule blah 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 and then he just stops and says so much for the emperor Caligula now let's get on to the monster Caligula <laughs> and then the rest of the chapter which is a very big chunk is just about all the sick and crazy stuff he did yeah I- this incestual relationship to his mother, uh, to his sister, yes, making his horse a uh, council. Yeah, that's a <laughs> let's let's get to that uh, okay. la- later on because I think that's very interesting. But yeah, I, I mean, the the chapter on Caligula in Suetonius is such a funny read if you have that kind of black humor. I laughed my way all through it. I mean, it's sometimes it's you know, really, really bad, but some things are really, really funny as well. And one of my favorite examples of this is when they had uh, some gladiator battle. Yeah. I think at this time it was in the Circus Maximus. Yes, Colosseum wasn't built yet. Yes, exactly. Built by Titus. Yeah. And his dad. Yes. So... They had this gladiator battle. I think the, in, in the time it was only referred to as the games or something like that. Okay. Let's have a game or something. So Circus Maximus was full of people. They all sat there and Caligula was there with his uh, posse. He sat there in the emperor's seat, of course. Of course. With the best view and stuff like that. And it was 
this was in the summer and it was the hottest day ever. I mean, it, it was almost so hot that you couldn't be outside, but people, you know, went to the games because they wanted to see them. But yes. it was like torture just being outside because it was so hot. And of course, Caligula being sadistic had the, the workers on Circus Maximus take away all the sun covers which were there to protect the audience from the sun he took them away and then he fixed it so that an old sick animal and an old sick gladiator were you know put in the ring (laughs) to make this like really really slow and pathetic battle which took like forever and the audience had to sit in this hot blazing sun you know and watch this spectacle and he thought it was so funny himself but no one else probably (laughs) okay typical Caligula yeah very typical classic Caligula so yeah that's one where that's one of the anecdotes I for some reason remember the most it's so comical in a way let's have another one yeah let's have another one maybe we should uh, move on to his horse yes which uh, goes under the name Intacitus or something like that I think so the legend has it that Caligula made his own horse a senator yeah and also slept with the horse in his bed. He had this like very Sounds dangerous. Yes, very dangerous. I mean, a horse is a big animal. And maybe what... it was a tiny horse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If it was a pony, I guess. But it still had to be a really robust, big bed to keep both him and that animal in there. But when you read Suetonius, it's uh, it's kind of easy to see how, how how this legend was created, even though that. What we know as the legend today, that isn't explicitly mentioned in Suetonius. Okay. But there is uh, a lot of interesting information on the horse. And so this thing about uh, Caligula making his horse a senator probably comes from a dinner he had with his... uh, uh, The men working for him. Yes. And he he was... uh, Caligula was disappointed in his men. They didn't have, hadn't done a good work or something like that. Okay. So then he stood up and he is supposed to have said, I would be better off with my horse as a senator. Uh-huh. And that's probably the seed that later became Caligula made his horse a senator. Okay, so it probably, he probably never did. Exactly, but it wasn't a fictional horse the horse existed and it uh, bore the name of Intacitus I believe and uh, he had the most luxurious uh, stable made for this horse which was made out of uh, ivory and gold and stuff like that and the hay that the the horse slept on was like sprinkled with uh, gold uh, nuggets okay. and stuff like that so i mean there there is uh there is stuff to go on when it comes to this legend even though it it kind of differs the the information in the book kind of differs from the legend as we know it today okay. yeah anything else on caligula oh we could go on for uh Ever. ages i guess yeah he is so funny what more can be said we i mean we said we had to return to the sister so Yes, exactly. It is said that he had an incestuous uh, relationship with his sister, Drusilla. Is this from Suetonius? This is from Suetonius. And uh, Drusilla passed away at a 
pretty tender age. I don't don't know if she got into her twenties, but okay. maybe. But uh, then, of course, Caligula was devastated, and he uh, let the public know that there w- would be uh, an official period of sorrow for everyone. Yes. And if you broke that, you know, you would like get tortured in the worst kind of ways. <laughs> yes. I heard that uh, Drusilla had some sort of uh, modesting influence on Caligula, that he becomes even more crazy after she dies. Yeah, I believe he, he got crazier after that. Uh, pro- probably because his depression made it easier for him to go even mm. saner, I guess. But more ca- can be said uh, on his insanity. I mean, Suetonius tells us of how Caligula spoke with his own statues in temples and stuff like that. Okay. He could just, you know, like dress up and go down to the temple and have a dialogue with the gods. Uh, I mean, according to Suetonius, Caligula believed himself to be a god. Mm. So I don't think he had all his horses in the stable. (laughs) Probably not. Probably not. Is the uh, attempted conquest of Britain in Suetonius? Yeah, when they are down at the beach. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. Uh, Another great example of his insanity. Do you want to tell it? Oh, tell it. You read the book. Well, Caesar is down with his men on the beach. And as I remember, if I remember it correctly, he is like throwing shells on the water. Yeah. To kind of uh, instigate some kind of battle, but there are no Brits there. No, because yeah. they're in Britain and they're at the on the French side. Yes, exactly. And uh, he has his army down there and everything, but it never comes to anything. Yeah. Uh, and as I remember it, Caligula collects a lot of shells from uh, the beach before they go back to the palace and then he uh, tells everyone there look at this great booty we got from the war or something like which that which was probably better than what they actually got when they conquered Britain because there was nothing there for them really yeah. uh, the, uh, uh, that's as, ironic as I've been told this story the, the generals actually thought that they were going to conquer Britain. Yeah. So they made these plans that were later used by Claudius, which yeah. is why Claudius could implement this plan to invade Britain so easily because oh. the plans were already there. All right. So they actually thought they were going to Britain, but then Caligula realized that oh, Britain is far away and it's muddy. Yeah, so <laughs> let's cold and well, let's, let's go do back. this play pretend thing instead. Yes. <laughs> Another interesting thing when we're talking about Caligula People are, of course, interested in the sources of Suetonius. And the Caligula chapter contains an interesting part where Suetonius mentions his source for what he is uh, telling about. And this is the anecdote when uh, Caligula builds some kind of bridge going out in the water. And he rides on this bridge, uh, you know, just back and forth, back and forth. Uh, like some kind of a spectacle to just, you know, show of his... Uh... Is it in Tacitus he rides on? I don't. I think that horse came in later, but he goes uh, back and forth on this bridge, and it's. Uh, I know there's more to it than I remember right now. Like, this uh, bridge was some kind of political demonstration. But the what was uh, I was going to get to is that this story of the bridge is something that Suetonius had been told uh, by his grandfather. 
So uh-huh. he mentioned his grandfather in the text, like, my grandpa told me this. <laughs> Uh, so that's very interesting. That is one of the f- one of the few examples of a specific source being oh, okay. mentioned in the Twelve Caesars. Yeah. So yeah, that's very. Okay, let's uh, move on from crazy guy to uh, yeah the survivor. Yeah, Claudius, the yes. famous uncle of Caligula. Oh, he as interesting enough Claudius is uh, mentioned in the chapter on Caligula you know just for a a little bit and then he is this kind of clownish guy in the background which uh, Caligula just makes fun of for the hell of it and as I think you mentioned uh, early on Claudius being the way he was probably made him less of a threat to Caligula which is the reason for him not getting uh, killed yeah because after Tiberius and Caligula most of the Julio Claudians were dead exactly and yeah uh, moving on to uh, Claudius one interesting thing about him was that he was a history writer himself now uh, Suetonius was known as biographer but I mean uh, Claudius wrote stuff Uh, anything survives nothing that has survived as far as I know Yes, that's really a shame because, I mean, the the format of the TV show I, Claudius, is, you know, like, we get to uh, see the stuff that Claudius is sitting in his uh, room writing about. Oh. Uh, but, yeah, man, if only his uh, written words had survived, we would probably have so much interesting uh, information. Yeah, but Claudius has been known as this uh, especially due to the fame of this uh, TV series yep. <laughs> he is known as a pretty nice and meek well-meaning emperor yep. who uh, were were used by everyone and fooled by everyone and there is some of this in uh, Suetonius chapter on Claudius but I think it paints a more truthful and nuanced portrait of him than uh, many other sources Uh, so I always get back to this the cruelty Suetonius tells us of uh, Claudius being very interested in uh, watching executions which is really not what the the picture you have gotten of Claudius from well he's a Roman after all (laughs) yeah he is a Roman after all but I know uh, but you know, I think there is one scene in the TV series where, when he is like putting his hands up to his eyes because he uh, can't stand the excitement of watching one of the Gladiator games. And that is not the Suetonius picture. Yeah, that is not the Suetonius picture. Uh, Claudius was interested in a lot of stuff, especially in uh, history writing, but he also was really into watching live executions and thought it was very fascinating. Yeah. And of course, Antonius also tells us about his uh, legendary relationship with Messalina, okay. who uh, was a woman that went behind Claudius' back and planned to overthrow him. Yes. And uh, I think it is never, it, it is seldom explicitly said that Claudius himself had uh, Messalina executed for this, but. Uh, he was uh, made to execute her because all the men around him said that it's for your own good. You can't let this uh, wife live. Although uh, Claudius loved her very much. Is she the mother of Britannicus? 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Uh, and then he doesn't do much better with his second wife. No, I don't. No, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Who actually managed to kill him, right? Yeah, exactly. And that is, of course, the mother of the emperor that followed Claudius. Yes. And that is Nero. Are there many other sources for Nero? Uh, or Nero. Nero yeah. is uh, heavily and uh, de- with a lot of detail depicted in uh, the works of Tacitus. Yes. So even though Tacitus' work Annales uh, is uh, not complete and a lot of parts uh, are missing, especially the part on Caligula that is so tragic, but uh, almost everything on uh, Nero is left intact in Tacitus' okay. work. So we have uh, a lot of interesting sources. On Do they Nero. paint the same picture of Nero? Well, I would say that uh, they do. I mean, Suetonius and Tacitus are both very in sync with each other when it comes to describing the reign of Nero. Although where Tacitus might be seen as the most more serious historian, Suetonius, of course, really enjoys digging into the nasty details of stuff Nero did. But uh, at the same time, I mean, Suetonius uh, really describes some good sides of Nero too, like he was this uh, aspiring poet and he was very much for entertaining people, but he uses that same information to say bad stuff about him, like he was more into the arts and entertainment than ruling the empire. Uh, It's amazing that Nero manages to reign for so long. Yeah, that's really crazy. But I think he had uh, really good uh, people on his side that made things work for him. Yes. Anything in particular that Suetonius mentions about Nero? that uh, you want to bring up? Well, the, the, there is a lot. When it we spoke earlier of uh, the sexual depravity that could be found Tiberius, yes. it's there in Nero too. I, oh, mean, I bet it, it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, and I mean, it's when I first read that part on uh, the sexual depravity of Nero, I couldn't really make out exactly what... Suetonius uh, was telling me I mean even though the words are there I, I don't really understand what it what was that Nero did but I can try to explain it as I remember it from okay the go ahead yeah so one of uh, Nero's favorite sex games yes. was to dress himself up in the skins of dead animals so maybe he looked like something of a bear or something yeah, like that. As you do. Yes, you do. And then he had men and women chained to poles. I mean, they were okay. bound by poles so they couldn't move. And the game always started with him being in a cage, someone coming in and letting Nero out of the cage. And then he ran towards these poor people uh, chained to these poles and massacred their uh, private parts and 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 it, it is not <laughs> okay. i mean do you do you understand what i mean about i really don't understand what is happening yes because what kind of uh, d- did he like uh, eat their uh, organs or what did he do i don't really understand it okay i never heard this one uh, it's really strange but i promise you it, it is in suetonius wow and i mean if that's true you know I think he might be the most sexually depraved of them all. (laughs) Yes. 
Um, but uh, besides that, you know, during the early Roman Empire, there was uh, something that is mentioned a, a lot today in our times. There was uh, a, a macho culture, you know, you <laughs> should be a man in yes. a lot of different ways. And, you know, there are a lot of different macho cultures, so let's not make this too easy. I mean, we could make probably a whole episode on just the macho culture of the Roman Empire and how oh, yes. it differs from our times. But you were, if you were a man, you were supposed to be a man in the sense of what a man was back then. Yes. And Nero wasn't that. So Suetonius goes into that a lot. Like, he would... He would uh, make these uh, appearances as a singer and be in a lot of uh, instrument competitions yes. where he played uh, different instruments. Lute, I think, was yeah. what he was mostly into. And he, just as Caligula, but I believe Nero was uh, even more so, dressed in outlandish things which weren't fitting for a man of the time. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. at all I don't know if he used makeup and stuff like that but he might have been <laughs> it's the famous Vespasian episode with Nero in Suetonius when uh, Nero uh, recites a poem for a long time and Vespasian falls asleep oh god that's funny I don't remember if it's in there but it should be it sounds really yeah he gets like uh, punished with some sort of he is a general Vespasian yeah. And he gets punished with uh, some sort of bad job after that. All right. Because he actually Before fell asleep, asleep during yeah. Nero's poem. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> and in a sense, that leads into uh, later events. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it does. Oh, it should also be mentioned, of course, that when you read about Nero in both uh, Suetonius and in Tacitus, you get a lot of information on uh, Seneca, the famous philosopher yes. and writer, who was uh, Nero's tutor. Yeah. And uh, try, did his best to teach him things that would be good for him, but Nero wasn't always the one to listen. <laughs> he did what he wanted, and I mean, just as the, I think the Caligula chapter in Suetonius is the best, but the Nero chapter is also full of all these... Uh, very interesting uh, anecdotes. And I mean, two of the most famous stories when it comes to Nero is probably one, when he tried to kill his mother twice and succeeded yes. first the second time. Yes. And then the story of how he allegedly burnt down Rome 
to yeah. get more space for building an even bigger So did Saturnus actually blame Nero for the fire? Well... <sighs> uh, the Great Fire of 68, right? Yes, exactly. I, I, I think... I don't remember if uh, Suetonius explicitly blames uh, Nero for it, but it is uh, implied, and it's uh, uh, implied as well in Tacitus. Okay. But of course, they are they are both clear on that. Okay, we don't have enough evidence to one hundred percent say that it was Nero who did this, but you know. I think it was the building of the great house, right? Yeah. After the fire, and oh, look at all this space here! Yes. I can have my great house. Exactly. But the interesting thing is that a good ca- a good thing uh, has said to co- come out of this because he, I mean, a lot of Rome burnt down yes. when this happened, and when Nero uh, rebuilt a lot of it, he mm. made it even better and more secure than it had been before. Yes. So it was like he was shaping up the infrastructure of Rome after that in a lot of ways. So so that's a good thing. But then, of course, uh, the sad thing was that officially everything was blamed on the Christians. (laughs) And uh, these Christians, uh, Nero burned at stakes all around town. Yes. uh, Mostly at night, I believe, because it would get this, you know, nice light effect. Like they were human lamps (laughs) lamps <laughs> leading perhaps both to the death of peter and paul yeah <laughs> okay let's uh, let the great poet die and uh, let's move to the year of the four emperors yes and there we begin with galba yes and man i lend you the torch right now because i'm not fresh on galba i think nero dies somewhat unexpectedly it's uh, sort of uh, now we need someone to administer yes. the empire. Exactly. The empire is in debt. The things are bad. We need someone who is serious, old, and doesn't have children. Yeah, and there is this. There are many uh, contenders for the throne. Then yes, so it's but like... they, they decide on Galba, and Galba marches on Rome to take his position. But this is immediately. Oh, he. he... Oh, let's see if I remember this correctly. Maybe we should just stick to Suetonius' version of events. But uh, Otho is with him. And Otho is uh, a friend of Nero's. Yeah. And he is like, okay, I will support this too. Mm. But he's kind of... Galba is old, doesn't have any children. If I play things right, I can be the successor. Mm -hmm. And then Galba points another guy as the successor. Mm -hmm. Whereas Otho kills them both and claims the throne. Yes, exactly. And uh, oh, uh, should just be mentioned that uh, Nero is never killed uh, by any of these contenders. He commits suicide, yes. I believe. Oh, what uh, a great poet the world loses in me. Yeah, exactly, man. That's that's really something. Yeah, exactly. And then Otho is emperor for a very short while, I believe. Yes. Because there's pressure from uh, the guy that comes after him. With yeah, I think the, the reign of Galba is very... Uh, Galba is really an administrator. Yeah. And he is very, very tight on money. Yeah. So he is Cheapskate. like... <laughs> yeah. Bringing the empire into order the hard way. Yeah. So... Uh, and then, of course, the magic of the Julio-Claudian dynasty is broken. Yeah. So now, okay, if, if that guy can be an emperor, maybe mm. I can be an emperor. So Vitellus in, in Germany, or in the north, his soldier sort of convinces him that mm. you should really be the emperor. Whereas yeah. Vitellus is mostly interested in 
eating. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, that, that, there's a lot of that in Suetonius about his, you know, like really disgustingly stuffing himself all the time. Yes. And one really funny anecdote in the Vitellus chapter in Suetonius is like when they have this religious ceremony, he just can't stop himself so he starts grabbing food that they have put off as offers for the gods oh no just you know so he can eat that's a crazy uh, omen yeah, yeah <laughs> right it's really crazy but the same thing is happening in the east but there is this clever guy who is like okay i don't want to be the emperor because being the emperor is really dangerous but what about my neighbor the governor of the province next to me he has two sons, mm-hmm. Vespasian. Mm-hmm. So I'd better make him the emperor. So this guy is sort of setting the stage for, for Vespasian's emperorship. Whereas poor Domitian, uh, Vespasian's second son, mm-hmm. is in Rome at the time, which is not the place to be, because no. Vespasian has his armies on the other side of the Mediterranean. And then Vitellus shows up first, takes the emperorship from Otho, and then he realizes he is in the same spot as Otho, because Vespasian is coming. Mm-hmm. And Domitian makes a lot about uh, him running around Rome with his uncle, I think. Yeah. Like dodging Vitellus' troops and doing awesome yeah. things. Yeah, right. Uh, and it should also be said... Just... The year of the four emperors in 10 seconds. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's re- re- really a great summarization. And the, partly I don't remember Galba and Udo and Vitellius that good, but it sh- should also be said that Galba and especially Odo are two of the shortest chapters in the Twelve Sisters. I bet they are. Yeah, exactly, because it kind of reflects like how long their reigns were. <laughs> yes. But the Uto chapter is uh, especially crazy short. The Galba is uh, a little bit longer, I believe. Okay, probably reflective of the reigns. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, we are not getting into Nerva and Trajan, but Nerva and Trajan are pretty much in the position that... Or Nerva is very much in the position that Galba was, but he's handling it much better. Yeah. But he's the 13th emperor, so we're not talking about him. Yeah, but you'll get in, into them later on. <laughs> uh, much later on. Yeah. Or maybe you just want the Roman emperors in Fan of History now. Yeah, I mean... I, Go to Patreon, become a patron of Fan of History, and tell me to talk about the emperors. I'm and fe- I will. feeling the history juices right now. This is really fun. Yes. <laughs> okay, we are on uh, still on Vitellus. Yes, and he is this guy that has kind of a... Although he is uh, later in the game, I mean uh, relatively, but yes. he has some uh, legacy... Uh, as an example of one of these, you know, really cruel and disgusting oh. emperors. And he shows up in a lot of uh, Renaissance art about... He does? He does, uh, about, uh, that is based on what people read about the uh, Roman Empire. And sometimes it's not even specified that this is Vitellus, but uh, it's obvious that it is because he looks just like the statues of uh, Vitellus from the time, you know, in this Roman setting when you people are lying down and eating stuff <laughs> and everyone is naked and yeah. crazy things like that. He doesn't care much about the naked people, he just wants the food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tiberius can have the naked people. Yeah, he can food. have them, all that stuff. <laughs> And then Vespasian shows up. Or actually he doesn't. He, his his uh, friends show up mm-hmm. and take Rome. Yeah. And tells Vespasian that it's safe to go there. And he went on to become this really big contrast to uh, Vitellus. Yes. And was a pretty good uh, uh, emperor. Yeah, I think other than uh, Tiberius, he's the only... Oh, it, it, oh that's wrong. Uh, 
he is a good general. Yeah. And he runs Rome as a good general. Yeah. Pretty, like, down-to-earth, what mm. do we need to do? Let's do it. And he's yeah. quite laid back from my impression of him. Yeah. And he starts the work on the Colosseum, yeah. but doesn't get to finish it. So the Titus comes in there, yes. and his son. So what does Suetonius say about Vespasian? I think he uh, mostly writes good things about him. And no. I mean, that is also one of the shorter chapters. But right now I can't r- remember an, an, any specific details more than how... The, the relief of the people is mentioned that, yeah. oh, now we got rid of uh, Vitellius. So that automatically makes everything so yeah. great. <laughs> well, now we have food again. <laughs> because yes. the emperor isn't eating everything. Yeah. Uh, Vespasian is perhaps mostly famous for his last words. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm becoming a god. And he's like slightly ironic that all the, all the emperors who have died, who yeah. have been in good standing, have become gods. So then he's, okay, I'm, I'm dying, but yeah. at least I'll be a god. That and then begins the golden age, age of the Romans. Young Titus, the conqueror <laughs> of Jerusalem. And everything looks great. He finishes the Colosseum. Yeah. What does Saturnius say about him? Not much, but he, he was the favored son. Yes, of, uh, of course. He was, was like 14, 15 years older than the mission. So the mission was the brat. Yeah, exactly. But I think uh, Titus uh, lived up to his father's name uh, in kind of yeah, yeah, the best way possible. He was a little bit more paranoid than his dad. Okay. Uh, and uh, had people working for him just i mean he w- he wasn't e- executing people to the left and right in the way of say Tiberius but he was still careful and strict and tried to you know like ha- have a good grip on everything okay which i guess could make him somewhat um harsh according to Suetonius at least yeah but still a good emperor very much in the way of his father Yes, and very short. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just dies. Yeah. Out of some sickness. Yes. Thing, leaving the scene to the last of the 12 emperors. Yes, Domitian. Yes, who rules quite for a long time. He does. He was not such a good emperor. He is not uh, remembered as kind of Mr. Nice Guy. No. Uh, but it's not parano- paranoia if they're actually out to get you. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, n- not not as legendary when it comes to you know the uh, the, the cru- cruelty of previous emperors and not as uh, sexually depraved possibly, but still uh, a mean bastard. <laughs> yes, because they are out to get him. Yeah. So Suetonius writes that he he wasn't very well liked, and I mean it's easy to see this pattern of how that the 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 mood of the roman people is really affected about uh, by the contrasts between the the different uh, emperors yes so with the memory of vespasian and uh, titus fresh they didn't like domitian at all who probably had this you know complex since he wasn't favored by his uh, father yes Titus was the favorite child who got to become uh, emperor after Vespasian. 
So that probably shaped his personality, personality and his reign. Yes, I think it also uh, there are some uh, new problems for the Romans during the time of the mission because the Emperor Augustus was so strong that uh, the the foreign threats uh, when they eventually succeeded in stopping the Germans or like establishing a border with the Germans mm. there was no great external threat but here it appears again from the Dacians which must be mentioned Julius Caesar's plan actually was to conquer the Dacians because he saw them as a coming threat yeah. so when he was murdered his plan was to go through Dacia conquer those guys take out the, Persian, the Parthians mm. and uh, uh, then go back and wipe out the Germans, or at least co- take control of them, and then Rome would be stable. But yeah. Caesar died. But all good things come in time, <laughs> or something. <laughs> uh, so Domitian fight the Dacians a lot, and uh, the not entirely successful wars are pretty much adding to his disfavor with the people. Yeah. And then he is eventually murdered. Yeah. Which leaves the empire in the same position as when Nero was murdered, but it is handled by Nerva. Yeah, the writings of Suetonius end. Yes. How long is the chapter on the mission? Slightly longer than the one on Titus and uh, Odo. Uh, Those are two very short ones. But it's still short. Yeah, it's still short. Uh, That's surprising because these are times that uh, Suetonius actually experienced himself. Yes, exactly. And I... Right now, I can't remember if he has any of this, you know, like that he mentions personal experiences or something like that. But um, yeah, it, 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 when you think about it uh, in that way, it is kind of short, actually. No, well, that's weird because that that's maybe yeah. he's like this is common knowledge. Everybody knows this. I don't have to write about it. Yeah. Well, I I was just thinking if it might be interesting to uh, mention to. Uh, our listeners how long these chapters uh, are estimately to give them uh, yeah. a picture so when I say that uh, when we are talking about uh, Otho's chapter being short that means that in the book I read this Swedish translation it is like 10 pages long Okay. and the longest chapters which uh, are Caesar and Augustus they are like almost 40 pages each okay. or something like that so they are uh, a little bit longer, I think Caligula is something like 30 pages, maybe, estimately. Uh, so, I think uh, Domitian, uh, when we're talking about him, his uh, chapter is at the longest, like 20 pages, but I think it's a little bit shorter than okay. that. Something like that. Yeah. A very interesting deep dive into Suetonius. Yeah, uh, I was just thinking what more can be said of him. I mean, I, I would recommend... Uh, the Twelve Caesars to anyone who is uh, interested in history or in literature, but especially if you're interested into Rome and the Roman Empire because you've seen a movie or something like that, you should definitely read that book, which, which is very colorful and very interesting. And if you have that sense of humor, it can be really, really funny as well. That's amazing that uh, humor survives for 2,000 years. isn't it? I think that's uh, really fascinating. And, you know, like, you just laugh when you get the impression of what the humor of the emperors were. Because, of course, they had 
their own sick sense of humor. Yeah. We spoke early, earlier about it being important uh, having good uh, rhetorics yes. in, in that age. And of course, you it, it was very well looked upon to write satirical texts of your uh, defiers or people who had said something bad about yourself and they really uh, engaged in poetry and prose which was meant to be funny at the same time that it uh, you know said bad things about your enemies yes i think that is very much a greek heritage from the greek influence exactly as everyone knows very much of what was the roman empire came from greek culture yeah, except a few things like the Gladiator games yeah. <laughs> and other Etruscan shenanigans. Precisely. I wanted to contrast this kind of biography with, uh, with the Assyrian Empire. The sources we have there are mostly propaganda pieces filled with lies and aggrandizement. Like, I, the powerful king, did these awesome things and... Everybody who thinks otherwise are hanging on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's uh, it's a it's a great piece of literature and it's very much reflective of why the Roman Empire is so interesting. Yes. Not only because of what the empire did, but how it was documented and how much survives from it. Yeah. I wish we had sources like this for the Assyrians. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's really we we are. It's easy to be kind of when you get into when you get into ancient literature. It's easy to be disappointed that oh this is missing and oh I can't read this and these uh, sources are missing. But it is pretty fantastic that we have the sources that we have, yes. and uh, especially Suetonius and Tacitus are such treasures when it comes and to also that they are written in a language that survives at least partially. That we, yeah. we have people today who can read this Latin directly yeah. whereas cuneiform from babylon from assyria yeah. it's so hard to read yeah. i just heard and i can't uh, vouch for this this fact but i heard that there are two million clay inscriptions clay yeah. pieces of of clay with inscription on them that we have not yet read because there's not enough oh. people who can read them that is who so can translate cool. them God. Because the, the clay tablets are non-perishable. They, they find them all the time. There yeah. are a lot of clay tablets that haven't been interpreted. Yeah. Because uh, reading cuneiform is such a hard task that only a handful of people can do it. What secrets might be on those tablets? For example, in the time of Sargon that I talked about a lot, there is a lot of letters that survived. They, they, after Tiglath-Peleser III, the, the postal service is working. Uh-huh. He invented the postal service. Yeah. So we have personal letters between Assyrians, in the, especially in the 7th century BC, that there is a lot of information there that we, we don't know yet. All right. I remember that the, the historical knowledge of the Assyrian Empire is so young that it wasn't until the 19th century that we mm-hmm. knew anything about the Assyrians, pretty much, except what the Bible says. Good Whereas these texts have been studied since they were written. I bet there were monks in the 7th century AD that read Suetonius and thought, yeah. oh, that's Caesar, that was a great guy. Yeah, I mean, uh, since I'm very interested in ancient uh, literature, I'm also very interested in the media in which the text has been, you know, saved. I mean, what is the actual physical source of this text that we have? And 
you mentioned the monks. I think the Twelve Caesars were found in a monastery or something like that, written down by uh, a priest or something working there. Okay. Uh, Do we know how old the latest, the, the oldest copy is? Uh, uh, that information is available, but I think it's from something like uh, maybe the 15th century or something like that. Okay. The, the oldest surviving copy of yes. the 12 Caesars. I think something like that. So thanks to all the monks that copied yeah, these texts. Must have been terrible work. <laughs> I mean... It, uh, so our copy of the Twelve Caesars is getting a bit old, so <laughs> you, you, you there, <laughs> now sit yeah. here for X months and copy the book. I mean, e- e- even if you're not religious or anything, I think that really honors the priests and monks yes. who have done all this work. But I don't think that tradition lives on in our contemporary... No? <laughs> or are they, are they sitting by their computers, saving every web page from the internet to... Somebody else is doing that, hopefully. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, also a lot of, I don't know about Roman texts, a lot of Greek texts survived in, uh, in uh, the Muslim world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was, uh, now I'm just talking about yeah. random stuff, but uh, during the Crusades a lot of the texts were rediscovered. All right. But that's another story. Yeah. Uh, very nice to have you here. Very nice to be here, thank you and, very much. And uh, maybe I can have you back to do... Tacitus. Yes, we should speak about Tacitus. Yes, and we want you to hear your opinion. Did you like this? Do you want to hear an episode like this on Tacitus? Uh, Let us know. Uh, Well, thank you. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.